Welcome everyone to an episode of Breaking Big Blue, a summer episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're going to check in here. We're a few weeks from training camp. I'm taping this on a Tuesday. Uh, so right now we got about, what, it's the 9th, July 9th. The Giants actually get going on the 22nd. That's when rookies and select veterans report. But nobody's really going to be allowed to see practice till about the, the, the arrivals on the 24th. So we're talking like about two weeks from now or, or so. The, the 24th, 25th is the first open practice. So just a little over two weeks from the start of Giants training camp. And we're going to talk about one area of the team right now, which is going to be integral to their success, right? They cannot be good this season if this unit is not a net positive and not just an average group, which Pro Football Focus predicts them to be. They have to be significantly better for a variety of reasons. And of course, we're talking about offensive line here, right? The Giants finished 21st last year in PFFs that's pro football focus in their offensive line rankings. Now there was a, a stark disparity between the group in the first half of the season when they went one and seven and the second half of the season when they basically went split and went four and four. Okay. They made some adjustments. Uh, Jamon Brown kind of stepped in at right guard. That was a, a huge move on Patrick Omame was uh, dreadful. I mean, he didn't even make it through the first half of the season on the roster. He was an absolute abomination. It was just like a free free run into the backfield when he was there, combined with a struggling right tackle spot where they started with Eric Flowers, which was a absolutely ridiculously faulty plan and decision by the front office going into that season to bring him back and throw him in there and make him the immediate starter. And so they got Chad Wheeler in there eventually. That was, I think, week three he actually was in- inserted. But... When he got Jamon Brown, who is a workable right guard next to him, they started to be a functional, functionable unit. Now, still wasn't a great unit, but obviously a significant upgrade. Now, from the first half of the season. Now, they made even more changes this season. Now, they traded for Kevin Zeitler. They signed Mike Remmers, who is going to compete with Chad Wheeler at right tackle. Now, I wouldn't say either one of them is for sure a lock to be the starter. There will be a competition. I would say Remmers is likely the pretty heavy favorite in that competition for a variety of reasons. One, he's a veteran with a track record of success and a favorite of both Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman. So we've seen over and over again, right? You want to be a Dave Gettleman guy. Otherwise, you're basically going to be shown the door. See you, Odell. See you, Vernon. Anybody who, even like guys like uh, Darian Thompson. If you weren't an Andrew Adams, who they could have used last year at safety. But if you're not a Dave Gettleman guy, you've pretty much been exiled. There's about a little more than a dozen. I don't know what the current count is, but I think it's like 14 players left from the 53 that were on the roster when he took over. Actually, even less because guys like Paul Perkins are still around. He wasn't even on the active roster at that time. So a crazy number of Giants players have been exiled. Now, Chad Wheeler is one of the few holdovers. So 
yeah, they, you know, he's a young player, played better as the year went along, but Mike Remmers has that track record. Now he's going to be playing next to Kevin Zeitler. Okay. If you have Mike Remmers and Kevin Zeitler as your right side of the line, it's obviously an upgrade from the start of last year when they had Patrick Omame, who proved he wasn't a starting caliber player, and Eric Flowers, who has also proven over and over that he's not a starting caliber player. Even though apparently the Washington Redskins have not gotten that memo. They will soon enough, though. They will. We've seen that over and over again. So here's the Giants line left to right. You got Nate Solder at left tackle. Played better as last year went along. I think he went up, let up something like six sacks in the first half of the season or six or eight and one in the second half. So got more comfortable as the season went along. Will Hernandez, second year, last year's second round pick. Also, more comfortable as the season went along. Should make a, you're hoping he makes another step forward in year two. That's the natural progression. So you, you, let's say you get the same kind of production at left tackle. It was already an upgrade from the previous year. So you get a, a, a an average, slightly above average left tackle. Now your left guard, let's say he makes a, a jump in year two. Now you have an above average left guard next to him. The center position, you have John Jalapio and Spencer Pulley. They're going to battle it out. There's a full-blown competition at center. Jalapio got off to a good start last year. PFF said he didn't let up a pressure in his in the first two games before he broke his leg. So that's a promising number right there. You hope he could step in and, and be that guy and be an above-average, at least an average center. I think he could be an above-average center. I'm actually a fan of uh, Jalapio. I just, he's a hard worker, big guy, just real quality individual who I think gets it. You know, he's grinded his way up. Now, Pulley also played pretty well as the season went along, so he provides some pretty stiff competition. So we'll see what happens there. But let's say they could get an average center play. Then you have Kevin Zeitler at right guard. He was PFS number one rated pass protection guard last year. So obviously a huge upgrade now there because Jamon Brown, for as much as he brought in the run game, couldn't pass protect very well. Okay, and that's probably, to me, the most important aspect of offensive line at this point because teams pass more than they do run. And then Remmers at right tackle or Wheeler. Now Remmers struggled at guard in Minnesota. The hope is that he gets back to playing tackle where he's more comfortable and can at least be a serviceable player. And again, serviceable average player is another upgrade. Now, realistic for this group, in my opinion, would be slightly above average. Now, PFF, they rate him right now the eight number 18 offensive line, which is interesting because, okay, close to average, right? 32 teams, 16, that would be average. 18, obviously an improvement from 21. They haven't been in the top half of the league since, I believe, 2012, according to PFF rankings in regards to offensive line. So they're inching forward. And we know they need a good offensive line. Because their quarterback on the scale of 1 to 10 of mobility is in the negatives relative to quarterback play. Right? Not very mobile at all. Can't really make anything himself. So he needs optimal conditions just to be successful. Even semi-successful. We know that. We've seen that over the past couple years. If he doesn't have optimal conditions, it's play over. They're done. So the Giants, they're going to run the ball a lot, and they're going to base their offense around Saquon Barkley. And again, that involves the offensive line. 
Now, last year, rushing yards per game, the Giants finished the season 24th, which on, which on the whole doesn't look so great, right? But part of that is because they were trailing a whole bunch. They didn't run the ball a lot because if you look at yards per play, yards per rush, they actually finished tied for seventh. So the run blocking actually wasn't that bad, either that, and I, which I think it was average, and they have a great running back who they're going to build this team around, this offensive round, Saquon Barkley. And it's going to be the same case again. You know, Saquon had 200-plus touches last year. That's expected again. There's some people who think he's going to you know, get in the near the 300 range. Who knows? Their Giants are going to get him the ball plenty. And in order for him to have any success, they need a good quality offensive line. In order for Eli Manning to have any success, he needs a quality offensive line. So, that's why this episode we're going to talk about offensive line. And we're going to bring in an offensive line expert by the name of Duke Manyweather. A friend and a man who knows his offensive line. So let's get to it. On to the next one. Let's bring in my buddy here, Duke Manyweather. Now, not everyone out there knows knows of Duke, but you should if you're into offensive line play because this guy knows offensive linemen and is really one of the preeminent offensive line coaches slash trainers out there right now. So, Duke, why, how you doing, first of all? How's it going? Jordan, I'm doing great, man. Right in the middle of it, in the thick of it here in July. Uh, you know, this is, for me, uh, this is probably the busiest time of the year. Although, as I, I'm seeing, as things continue to grow and build, um, it's always busy. But um, we've got about 25, 26 guys down here in Dallas training, um, you know, getting their uh, preparation on for the 2019 season. Um, and so not only are we preparing for the season, but, of course, we got something very big coming up this weekend. Yeah, yeah, Duke is going to be running. It's a, its second year of existence it's the offensive line summit right the o-line masterminds it's called and it's sort of like uh your baby along with uh the eagles right tackle lane johnson and uh it seems it seems to be growing but we'll get that in a second give us a little rundown of your background right like what's what's the duke manyweather uh resume of how you became sort of an offensive line guru you know what? <laughs> I, I'll never consider myself a guru, but I do. Um, like I, I always, do. Okay. <laughs> like so I, you gotta, like you gotta I, suck it up always, and take it. Like I always tell people, I am a guy who's a student of the game that doesn't have all the answers, um, doesn't pretend to know everything, but I am always constantly seeking knowledge. And I think uh, one of the characteristics of mastery, mastery and uh, high performance is the ability to gather and have the urge to always want information pertaining to the trajectory which you're trying to get. But um, I was a college offensive lineman, undersized um, at Humboldt State University, uh, Division II school in Northern California. Um, played there, great experience, um, and had a brief stint in the Arena Football League. When I got to the Arena League, I saw how good I was in terms of moving to the next level. Um, and so what ended up happening was I had an opportunity before I played Arena to uh, get into coaching, and I kind of put it on the back burner um, down at College of the Redwoods in Northern California, which was about 30 minutes south of Humboldt State. Uh, just so happened, it was almost like 
they're a fly on the wall. They have been courting me, uh, you know, after my senior year in college and, and wanted me to be their run game coordinator and offensive line coach. And, you know, I had this dream, uh, hey, I'm going to give this football thing one more shot. You know, I'm going to play arena, you know. And, you know, it just – the day that I was released from the Arkansas Twisters, um, Coach Dave Banducci, um, who's now passed on, um, called me. He goes, hey uh, – you know, I think arena season is ending pretty soon. I saw something about the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are on the playoffs, but if you're heading back to Northern California, we still got that O-line job. And without hesitation, I took it. Um, and the rest was history in terms of my coaching trajectory. So I ended up coaching three seasons at Humble, I mean, at uh, College of the Redwoods as the offensive line coach, run game coordinator, even picked up some strength and conditioning duties. Um, and during that time, I was pulling double duty because – I was an assistant strength and conditioning coach under the legendary Drew Peterson at my alma mater, Humboldt State, which was 30 minutes north. Mm-hmm. And so from 5 a.m. to about 2 p.m., I was at Humboldt State assistant strength coach. And then after that, I would make the trek down to College of the Redwoods uh, and, and do my thing there. Um, after the 2009 season, um, Humboldt State, uh, Rob Smith, the head coach there offered me a head coach, I mean, a, a, a coaching job as the defensive line coach. So, what I ended up doing is I took the defensive line uh, gig at Humboldt State University um, and was still able to keep my assistant strength coach duties. So, I fought double duty, but on campus. So, I wore two hats. Um, I playing D line, I mean, uh, coaching D line was eye opening because it allowed me into the psyche of what defenders were looking for, what they were trying to do. And it allowed me to process offensive line even further. Um, on the flip, it also allowed me to teach defensive line very effectively because I knew the things that gave us trouble. So um, had never coached D-line. Um, I, I actually end up being a pretty decent D-line coach from what I hear. Um, you hear you hear about that a lot, by the way, with uh, guys learning the other side of the line a little bit. And, and I think that's, a, that's an important little... A uh, twist to it there. It was one of the biggest things for my maturation as a coach and just understanding football um, was to sit in defensive meetings. And uh, one thing that Shay McClure, who's the defensive coordinator at Humboldt State, who I worked under, he was really big in D-line coach, you know, him as a coordinator, and then the secondary coach, um, all three of us meeting always, going over scheme, and not just, you know, uh, as a, hey, this is what we want you to do, but, hey, can your guys do this? What are we looking at? You know, so it was an open feedback loop a lot of times of what we were trying to accomplish and just opened my mind up to a whole different aspect of O-line, D-line, and the, and, and the trench play. Where, did, so, where does Jeff Schwartz come into the equation, right? Because that's where we kind of met. You were working well, with you were working with Jeff when he came to the Giants. Yeah, so actually Jeff Schwartz, me and Jeff played together in high school. So we've known each other for over 16, 17 years now, I guess. Um, but we played together in high school. He played left tackle. I played uh, left guard. Um, I'm a year older than him, but we just we remained friends and remained in contact. I was in his wedding. But uh, when I went down to O-line performance uh, down in Arizona, um, I really urged Jeff, like, hey, he was right at the uh, turning point in his career where uh, it was either, hey, you're going into year four or five and you could be out the league or you could really address some of the issues you have and, you know, turn the corner. This, so this and was before I, he signed with the Giants in 2014. This was probably a couple years before that we're talking about now. 
this this was at, yep this was probably I can't remember the year but this is the year after he uh, it was it was the season that he played in Minnesota and was hurt early in the season and then ended up finished the season very strong but there was no direction and so I had told him I knew that I was going down to make the full time leap at online performance in Arizona. Uh, and I urged him, I said, hey, I'm not going to be there to the end of spring, but you need to spend your spring there training. I said, because these are your issues and this is how you fix them. And I don't, I think early on when I told people what I was seeing on tape and how you fix them, I don't think people believed me. Um, and then I was able to link up with somebody who we kind of had the, the same mindset in terms of being able to fix certain issues through training that project onto the field. So um, at the time, when I moved to Arizona to work at O-Line Performance, it was, uh, it was a natural fit. Um, of course, Jeff was one of the guys that I worked with uh, when I first got there as well. Uh, Mitchell as well was there. Um, and then Lane Johnson um, ended up coming, um, I think, my second spring there. So there was a lot of guys that I ended up working with there, um, a lot of great relationships built. But what ended up happening is after Jeff did train, at O-line performance, and we got him down in. He ended up having uh, one of the best seasons of his career in 2013 for the Chiefs. Um, he was able to go on and, uh, you know, uh, get signed by the Giants. And just unfortunate, he wasn't able to um, really see his contract through with uh, yeah, the broken legs. Two back- yeah, I mean, broken legs, back-to-back years. I mean, you can't really plan for that. Um, I will say this about Jeff. is Jeff, uh, even now, is one of the hardest workers I know in terms of just, like, he understood that it was never easy for him, um, and so he had to work. Even now in TV and radio, I mean, that son of a gun is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just kind of who he is, taking the hard road, and he's grown to accept that, you know. But nobody ever plans for two broken legs two years in a row, uh, especially, you know, after you put a lot into not only rehabbing but training in the off season and doing the things that you need to do to be available for your team. So that was unfortunate, but fast forward a little bit that's how me and you met right um, Jeff exactly. looked us up and then there was yeah, 2015 where you warned me you warned me you kept oh, telling yeah. me about Eric Flowers you're like ah, I think you're on the wrong path here I think you're on the wrong path yeah. here what was it you saw about Flowers that you realized right away that there was something wrong there that something was missing well everybody talks about you know oh his technique is bad but I truly believe that there's a clues around almost every prospect. Now, there's some guys you miss on because you can't get into the psyche of, you know, how they handle themselves on the field or around teammates. But when I look at performance, there's some clues. And I always I always say this, like, I rare, and you know this because we've had conversations, I rarely miss on old linemen. And there's a reason for it. I, I, I thoroughly do my homework. So one thing that I noticed with Flowers was that he was long, he was athletic, he could move, but he wasn't efficient in his movement. And I looked at his technique was inconsistent. I looked at that his footwork, though he had quick feet, his footwork wasn't very good, and so his hands sucked. And those are two issues that if your feet are efficient, your hands aren't going to be effective. And I think I told you that same line when I was watching him. Yep. But the real kicker with Flowers was he was coached by Art Keogh down in Miami. And everybody on that O-line um, under Keogh, they, I wouldn't say they were just like technicians, but they had some type of form of foundation of technique and the way things were done. They might not have been as, as athletic as Eric, but they were technically um, 
efficient. And mm-hmm. so I look at a guy who played three years under a guy who's had a really good track record. Yeah, very respected. And I mean, there's a lot coach. of things. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into that. I mean, some guys don't respond to the way some guys coach, but it started to it started to leave me like, okay, well, if there's not an inkling of a guy getting better at any point, maybe it's the prospect. And so there was no shock to me at all once he got to the Giants and didn't progress, uh, especially with some of the guys around him, um, coaching or not. I mean, because I mean, uh, you could say a lot about the coaching and the Giants at the time, but eventually when you're around veteran guys and when veteran guys reach out to you to help you get better and you're not taking the initiative to get better, it's probably you then. So it was just everything that I saw on tape corresponded with kind of the investigative type stuff that you do uh, to make sure that a prospect is going to realize his full capacity for development. It just, it wasn't there. So it, it wasn't, there's going to be some people that looked at the traits that Flowers possessed and be like, oh, damn, that was a miss. But I mean, it I'm was, raising my hand. I'm raising my hand. I'm right here. I'm raising my yeah. hand real high. That's me. I'm taking it on the chin. I wrote it was a home run uh, pick. I thought he would be able to grow and and get better and it just you know he because he has that physical skill and physical ability and size and length and it just never happened for reasons that i just decided to overlook at the time and that's why i know you're number one on my list that was the, my the eye opener when you tell me something about a prospect i need to listen yeah you know i think uh i think that year also uh i think rob haverstein from wisconsin came out and i nope. And I remember, and I remember telling people that Havistein was going to be a better pro than Flowers, and people called me crazy. And Havistein <laughs> was taken uh, late. He was taken late in the draft, I believe. Uh, second or third round, I believe. Was he? But okay, my bad. Yeah, and I, and I, I remember the tweet specifically. I just, I said, hey, I said, uh, Havistein won't be drafted as high as some of these guys, but he'll be a better pro than a lot of these first rounders. And sure enough, if you go back and look at that draft, he was. Um, it still is. He's he's really developed into a really uh, functional and solid starter at right tackle for the Rams. Um, you also liked but, Ryan Ramchick when I knew the Giants did it as well, and that was another one. Like, oh yeah, he's a good another good player. <laughs> yeah. There's another well, one. Well, you know what i I took a lot of I took a lot of flack for that, um, and not so much in the public eye, but I mean, there's some people who were pretty well respected in the quote-unquote scouting world and in journalism and things like that. And even some teams, they said that they thought Ramchek was nothing more than uh, interior offensive lineman. That they, they thought he was too robotic. And I said, listen, if you're at Wisconsin and you don't get beat and you move like this, you're going to be a good football player. And I remember doing, I did a 15-minute video, Eyes on O-Line, you can still find it on YouTube, that broke down the reason why Ramchek was going to be good. And I showed different uh, angles of clips and, and things of that nature. And sure enough, I mean, he had a, he's had a hell of a two seasons. And yeah, I'm excited to see his continued. Yeah, I'm excited to see his continued maturation um, at right tackle because, I mean, you may be talking about somebody who is going to challenge for that first-team All-Pro this year. So – I'm curious now, you look at the Giants' offensive line, right? It's a much different offensive line than it was two, three years ago. What, what do you think of this group, right? From left to right, it's Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, and then either John Jalapio or Spencer Pulley in the middle with Kevin Zeitler, who they traded for this offseason, and then Mike Remmers, who they signed in, or maybe Chad Wheeler. But I think Mike Remmers is going to end up probably being the starter there. Uh, so what what is your impression of that offensive line, and how, how good do you think this line can be? 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What are your I really questions? Don't know. And here's what are your What are your questions about it then? Like, what are you What are your concerns? Well, you've got a unit who, as a unit, they're unproven. They haven't been together. Right. Um, you've got You've got a left guard and a center who, um, you know, Hernandez will be going into his second year, and then at center, Alapio has been around, but he hasn't been a long term starter. Uh, what I do know about John though is he's put a lot of time and he's paid his dues to get this opportunity, so I'm, I'm excited for him. Um, I hate the way his season ended last year, but he's a guy that I paid really close attention to when he was at University of Florida. He was a guy that I was intrigued with, him and Jonathan Harrison, uh, who plays for the Jets. I liked both of those guys coming out. I thought both of them eventually would be solid starters, and here you are. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that um, Nate Soder, I've never really been too high on Nate Soder. I always thought that his his – the best of Nate Soder when he's on the field and he's functional is that he he was an average player, uh, and mm-hmm. I his 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 downside was that his floor was really bad. Like there was some bad tape put out there. I think you kind of saw that last year. That being said, Soder has dealt with a lot off the field and with injuries and stuff like that. But I'm not sure. Uh, I think this is going to be a big year. There's a lot of question marks out for Nate Soder in terms of what he's going to put on the field as a product. When you look over at Zeitler, Zeitler's a steady pro. Um, no matter where he's been, he's been consistent. Um, not really flashy on anything he does, but another Wisconsin guy who's going to give you that technical uh, prowess and just be very consistent in doing the small things right. He's a pro's pro. I think that right tackle spot is really unproven. Uh, Rimmers yeah. had a pretty decent year in 2015, and then it's been Rocky Road. Um, he's dealt with some back injuries, mm-hmm. so it's going to be really interesting to see how he bounces back and see what type of player he can be for the Giants. Same thing with uh, Wheeler. Uh, Wheeler is going into, I believe, his third year now, um, second yep, year as an up player. Yep, and second year as an up player. What I mean by that is more of an active roster player. Um, so, uh, the Giants are going to be expecting him to turn a corner, but Willer was a guy that was definitely draftable in terms of ability, uh, but had some off-the-field stuff coming out of USC mm-hmm. that made him more of a black eye to not draft. So he's a guy that you're hoping that develops in terms of corner. That way you do have some at least some type of functional depth there. So I say all that to say this with the individuals. We know the storylines on the individuals. How does that translate into the unit? We don't know. Um, offensive line is always about continuity and five as one. So it'll be interesting to see how that unit grows together. I think the goal for them needs to be, look, we're just looking for serviceable right tackle play, right? If they get serviceable right tackle play from either of those two guys, that's sort of an upgrade from what they've been the last couple of years. And then Zeitler at that right guard, that's going to be an improvement, right? Because last year, at least from last year, because they started with Patrick Omame, who played awfully. And then they went to uh, Jamon Brown, who gave him something in the run game, but isn't the best pass blocker. So they're they're looking at an upgrade there. And then if they can get something serviceable on that right side, that line should be improved. Now, to what level? We don't really know, right? PFF has them ranked. And I think this is about right. I mean, for all the warts with PFF, and I know you, you have your complaints a little bit here and there, but they generally, you know, the good players shine and, and the, the bad players Tilt to the bottom. They have the Giants overall is about the 18th ranked line right now heading into the season, which I think is pretty fair. Number one, by the way, but 18th, you should note, is last among the NFC East because number one on their entire list is the Eagles. 
Number two is the Cowboys. And then the Redskins come in, I believe they were 14th. So I was just wondering, what, what do you, who do you, who do you look at? What do you think when you hear Eagles as the best offensive line coming into the year and the Cowboys number two? Uh, you know what? When you look at a lot of those top offensive line, it's really ice cream. You know, we all know they're sweet. It's just what your flavor is. Uh, right. If you're looking for, a, if you're looking for an O line that's going to be solid, um, be tremendous pass protectors, um, that are going to be able to get on the edge and be athletic as hell, then the Eagles are probably your squad, uh, especially a healthy Eagles offensive line. Uh, when they've got both of their bookend tackles up and running, I mean, hell, they're hard to beat. But here's the thing about the Eagles. You got aging Jason Peters. Um, Lane Johnson is going to be Lane Johnson. You got Brandon Brooks, who's coming back off of Achilles surgery. Right, right here, he's ahead of schedule. Um, Jason Kelsey played with some injuries. And then, you know, what's your left guard situation going to be? You know, last year was a bit of a, a revolving door in terms of who they played there and who they wanted there. Is it Isaac Siamulu who ste- steps in? Is it uh, Jordan uh, Matala that steps in and be's uh, that guy? Um, is it a big V that comes in and competes at left guard right away? Um, really, if Brandon Brooks is not ready for week one, you're going to have two new guards, plain and simple. So uh, we should see how that line shakes out. Um, but when they're up and running, they're they're one of the premier offensive lines in the league. Notable uh, that they did add Andre Dillard also. He's sort of like a contingency plan, at least for that tackle spot, which is probably a good thing for them, you know, to have that Absolutely. contingency plan. Without a shadow of a doubt. I think Andre Dillard, um, he still has a long, a uh, lot of room left for growth in terms of being consistent with his actual pass set and landmarks and set points and that. But uh, I think he's in good hands with Jeff Stalin and then also uh, – the other players, you know, the other players that are essentially going to be, you know, mentoring him. Yeah, so the Jason when you Peters put him around, yeah, absolutely. So when you put that combination, it is the ideal situation for him to be in going in as a rookie where there's no real pressure to play, but you know the track record is you're probably going to play at some point this season. Right. Yeah, but that, that, that's interesting. And that's the Giants' competition this year. You know, this, this division has pretty good offensive line play. I mean, the Cowboys – we know about the Cowboys, right? If, when they're healthy and they're right, that line is really good. They have three absolute stars, right? I mean, three of those guys are some of the best in the league at their position, at least. And then uh, you throw in Lyle Collins, and then uh, who's who's their other guard right now? For the Cowboys, their left guard? Yeah. They'll probably have a competition, quite frankly. Um, I think they're probably like – um, they'll have um, – Xavier Su- uh, Suofilo. Okay. They'll still have Connor Williams. They'll have Connor Williams that ah, probably yeah, bounces right. back. Williams. They'll see. That's with, what I can remember. Yep. With, with best. Yep. They'll see what's best for him. Um, they'll also have Connor McGovern, who uh, was a offensive lineman that they took this year in the draft. So there'll be some competition there. Um, and you know, I think when you saw Mark Colombo take over that unit last year after the firing of Paul Alexander, you saw that offensive line that you recognized uh, wearing that star on their helmet. And, again, if you're talking about a unit that uh, can take over a game and that can really hit you in the mouth or break your will, that is the Dallas Cowboys, again, when they're up and running and they're coming right at you. With uh, those guys up front and then 21 in the backfield, um, they're dangerous, too, especially if they've got 77 healthy and then they're going to get Travis Frederick back. So, right, Frederick. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, absolutely. didn't have it all last year, right? Not even for a single no. snap. So, big difference. Nope. So. Let's 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 play. A little, let's have a little exercise here. Let's make your ideal offensive line, okay? Current current players, 
starting from left left to right. Okay, so we'll we'll start at we'll start at left tackle. If you had to pick one left tackle at this point of their career, like you know, obviously we're not going to go back and say okay, Jason Peters, but five years ago, going into this year, you're you're building an offensive line, a per, an ideal offensive line. Who are you starting with at left tackle? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm gonna take my guy Teron Armstead, man. Um, from the Saints, yeah, when you're talking, yeah, when you talk, when you talk about Teron Armstead, he's he when he's healthy, the guy doesn't get beat. Um, he probably plays some of the best football this year in run blocking and pass protection um, when he was on the field, and it, it was it was uh, it almost effortless. Um, unfortunately, probably on one of the most savage plays I've seen. Um, he tore his pet, and really what it was is he climbed up to the second level and lifted a linebacker up off his foot, feet and drove him about five yards down the field and dumped him and landed on his shoulder wrong. Um, but when that guy's up and running and playing football, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. That being said, that's no disrespect to guys like David Bakhtiari, who has become a tremendous, I mean, premier left tackle. Um, you, you got guys like Trent Williams. You got guys like Tyron uh, Smith. Smith. I mean, it's just there's so many, there's so much talent out there. But if I had to start, uh, just his ability to to process, his ability to play aggressive or to be smooth. He can play against any type of rusher. You never really see him get in trouble. You never really see Teron get his kick. You know, right. so yeah, that's yeah. really uh, that's really a cool thing. Who are you going? So who who are your guards? Which which your guard combo? Start with the left side. Oh, that's a great. Ooh, left guard. Ooh. Who am I taking at left guard? You know what? I, what I'm going to do? I'm going to take Quentin Nelson at left guard. I'm okay. going to take Quentin Nelson at left guard. I think uh, what he did last year as a rookie um, is set the landscape for everything that we thought he's going to be. Um, I think that we. We thought he was a rare talent, and I think he proved that on the field last year. He put really good things on tape and was an all-pro as a rookie. So Quentin Nelson's ability to uh, – a lot of people, when you talk to people around the coach, they say that he changed the dynamic of that unit. Um, I just think that his toughness, his grit, his ability to be a game-changer in the run game and then to be a very effective pass blocker is something that you know every coach would dream of to have that left guard. Right guard? Right guard, I'm taking another Notre Dame guy, Zach Martin. That's who I, I think thought you look at Zach. That's a pretty darn good guard combination right there. Be- yeah, two Notre Dame, two Notre Dame guys. I don't think it gets much better than that. And at center, who's your top center? At, at center, I'm taking Alex Mack. I think Alex Mack, in terms of what he's able to do with pushing protections, um, able to get out on the edge, play with a perfect combination of athleticism, but straight line power and square power down the middle. Um, it gets no better than Alex Mack. He's continued to keep his gameplay at a very high level. And then at right tackle? Right tackle is difficult because depending on what offense I'm running or depending on what I like, I'm taking two different guys there. Um, there's actually three guys that come to mind, and I would have a right tackle any day. And, I mean, you could take your pick from – you know, uh, Lane Johnson, uh, Mitchell Schwartz. Um, you could take it. Trent Brown moving back to right tackle was a big physical SOB. You got to love Trent. Uh, Ryan Ramchick, you got to love. Um, and I tell you, another guy, when healthy, it doesn't get much better than Brian Balaga. Unfortunately, you know, heading into, you know, I think year nine or ten right now, he's just, he's had injury after injury. Uh, but the guy, when he's on the field, he's really, really outstanding football player. But, 
any of those guys, give me a right tackle, and we're going to win with. We're going to win a lot of football games with. But it's either got to be out of Mitch or Lane. Those guys are just uh, consistent. And I, you know what? Quite frankly, if we're talking about consistency alone, consistency alone Mitchell Schwartz has not missed a snap um, his entire career. Um, you know, so Mitchell is about as consistent as you can get. And, uh, you know, Kansas City really got a good football player out of him. So that's a pretty good offensive line. Yeah. Teron Armstead, Quentin Nelson, Alex Mack, Zach Martin, and Mitchell Schwartz. And now let's go, and that's a perfect transition, because a bunch of those guys are going to be at this OL offensive line masterminds that's going to be held yep. this weekend in Dallas. And where it's yep. gonna be, there's not going to be any Giants there, but there's going to be all kinds of top offensive linemen, something like 40 around there, give or take, right? Yeah, there's around 40. There's been 40 guys that have RSVP'd. I've talked to a host of other uh, other guys that didn't say that they weren't coming, so I wouldn't be surprised if another five to ten guys just showed up as a surprise. I'm, I'm here. The really cool thing is I've talked to quite a few Hall of Fame guys that were really intrigued and like committed to being there next year, but just had previous engagements this year. And that, I mean, they're up on it, texting me, Hey, how's things going? Uh, you know, what's coming together? Anything you need me to do on my end? So it's really cool to hear that. I think people have had an idea about wanting to get everybody together, but everybody, nobody really put the time in to do it. I think a lot of people have. Why do you think it was necessary, Duke? What was the what was the thinking behind it? Um, I think I told you this a couple of years ago. My goal has never changed. My vision has never changed, and it is to give the spotlight and to be able to paint a vivid picture of what O line play is holistically from the ground up. And I try to do that through training, education, and development. Uh, what I try to do is explain the what, why, and how of O line play because all people see is blocking. They don't see why things are happening or how it's happening and if it's able to replicate. All people see is that uh, the right tackle gave up a sack, but they don't see the other five guys, uh, the other four guys that are kicking the hell out of their player. So when you look at some guys, there's some guys that are really solid and good football players that people don't even know who they are because they're not the guys that you hear about all the time. But I think offensive line has gotten so disrespected, and I think that there are so many different philosophies now that have been put out there. Um, there's not a whole lot of time for development. So I thought it was necessary that if D-line are getting together, and I saw Lane say something a couple of years ago on NFL Top 100, he said, we need to all get in a room and figure out a way how to stop these guys. That was the quote, exactly. And I immediately called Lane. I said, hey, you just said this. He goes, yeah. I said, let's get all, everybody in a damn room and figure out how to stop these guys. Right. And he goes, tell me, he goes, tell me what you're thinking, and I'll see what I can do on my end. And so before I talked to him again, I had already had 15 people like, oh, yeah, I'm there. And so I said, all right, this is what we're doing. This is where it's going to be at. And he's like, oh, wow. And so really getting with him, getting with Mitchell Schwartz, uh, getting with a couple of different guys, um, they really took a liking to it. They liked the concept. I think a lot of people like the concept. And what it's grown to now, I think there's just a need for everybody to be able to share a mastermind collection. Um, Napoleon Hill said, once two or more people get into a room and share the ideas of best practices, it's almost fail-proof. Failing is not an option because now you've got a game plan and you've got a blueprint of what success should look like. So I did a lot of research before I came up with the name O-Line Mastermind, and one of the things that kept coming coming back and replaying in my head was Napoleon Hill's 
the principle of the mastermind principle. And I read that over and over again. I listened to it over and over again. And so I gave this summit, um, you know, two and a half years ago, a name, Online Masterminds. And um, pretty much any and everything that I do in terms of online, really with online masterminds, it goes back to that principle. Am I bringing people along with me? Am I sharing ideas, understanding that if I have success with bringing people together, everybody's going to have success through the common goal, and that failure is not something that's going to inhabit this space. So with that principle and being transparent and open with uh, what we want development to be um, and getting a guy in there, my goal and hope is that you, you start to see a better product of offensive line because now it's professional development just like anywhere else. I mean, if you're a teacher, teachers sit through professional development, you know, various points of the year. Right. Um, and what it is, it's, it's outside voices and it's outside theories. And even if you don't use anything, it opens up your mind to think a different way of some things that might be able to help you in your profession. So it's I think that's the ultimate goal. And what we're trying to do with online masterminds is to get people to think outside of what they've only, only, only what they've known. And uh, once we elevate our our mindset, and once we open up our ideas and ways of thinking, we can then add new tools and concepts to our toolbox, and really be efficient and proficient, and being able to replicate success every week. It almost seems like it was the response too. I mean, because you have the defensive lineman in that Von Miller camp, right? And they're going, yep. and they're talking about all these offensive linemen. How do they beat offensive linemen? And so you guys yep. have over here, this is the offensive line answer to that. Is that how do we stop these top pass rushers? What do we need to do to be successful that we can have a chance against these guys who are, you know, basically their job is to go get the quarterback and make these guys and embarrass the offensive line? How much Absolutely. did that sort of play into it? It really, it really did. We, um, I think what ends up happening is a lot of times, there are a bunch of guys, like one guy can make an impact, you know. One guy can make an impact in a play, a game, outcome, strip, uh, strip sack, fumble, things like that. But all that's a mind, we do everything together. So it's only fitting that if we do everything together as a unit, why not we sit in a room together, watch film, break down together. And not just five, now we got 45. So I thought that was really important that we do things as a unit. Like last year we had, you know, we had uh, teams represented. I think this year there's going to be three of the five starters from the New Orleans Saints there, potentially four of the five starters. Right. So um, same thing with the Bengals. You know, Jacksonville Jaguars, there's going to be, you know, I think four of the five or three of the five starters. And I would have to go through all the teams, but there's going to be a significant amount of starters representing various teams. When you think about that, when you think about what that – cohesiveness when you think about what you know what another guy's putting into his craft it does something to elevate a unit you got to get the giants involved there we got we don't have a real giant influence here we got to yeah, make this happen i know well it's, yeah. it's going to be fun regardless and it's always fun to talk offensive line with my man duke Mannyweather. one one of the best out there and i'm, I'm sure it's going to be a great weekend and i'm interested to see what kind of stuff like how what kind of stuff you do to sort of propel the offensive line to sort of lift them up and it is something that we hear a lot about right that the offensive line play in the league is slipping because in college they're not doing a lot of things that they're asked to do in the nfl right take uh some of these spread offenses i think uh andre dillard falls into that category right he never played with his hand yes. on the ground right am i am i correct in that yes and that yeah, the, air the, raid. The, the transition with the air raid is so extreme the the offenses 
that these guys have a long way to go in regards to catching up uh, in, re- in regards to the pass rushers. The pass rushers come in and just rush the pass. Whereas the offensive lineman, I feel like the jump is even bigger, and that's sort of where you seem to come into play in the, this kind of oh, oh, uh, offensive line masterminds kind of, kind of comes into play in, in the whole situation. Yeah, absolutely. I want this to always be about the players, man. Um, you know, it's not about me. It's always about the guys in the arena. Um, you know, I want guys like Lane to be able to take the face of this thing. I want to want guys like Mitchell Schwartz and Teron Armstead to, to have ownership of this thing. I'm just a guy that's getting all the guys together in the room and kind of giving my perspective of what I see as a uh, developer, um, a evaluator, and things of that nature. Um, it kind of gives a different perspective of what I'm looking at and what I like to see to help guys develop. Because as I, as you know, I bury myself in the film all the time. I'm always talking to different people. I've had a uh, fortunate enough to be able to talk to some of the best to ever do it now. And so just getting all these different kind of ideas and bits and pieces of information has allowed me to to, to really uh, hone my craft and advance myself in terms of the knowledge base in which I have. And um, it's only right and fitting is if I can give some of that back from a different perspective than being the guy that has actually been in it. Well, it's only possible, though, because they respect your perspective. That's a key here. They, they didn't respect your perspective. It wouldn't be possible. But, hey, Duke, thanks a lot. I look forward to seeing you. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you. Talk soon. On to the next one. That was a pretty good segment. Hope you guys all, and girls out there, all learned a little bit about offensive line and offensive linemen and offensive line play from Duke because, really, a very knowledgeable guy. I mean, one of my... One of my first calls when I'm looking to break down anything offensive line, um, anything on the topic of offensive line, because that guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, you could just tell. And over the years, you kind of tell, right? You go, and this will be my Jordan on a beat here, right, where I'll give you a little insight of what it's like to be a beat writer for the Giants and stuff. Over the years, you sort of develop a sort of a circle of people, circle of trust for yourself. And you talk to a bunch of different people. And when draft time comes around or when free agency comes around, you talk to a whole bunch of people. Some of them are executives. Some of them are scouts. Some of them are, you know, pro personnel people. Some of them are coaches. And every year you ask some of your sources about certain guys. And you get responses and you take them and you just sort of file them away. You don't take any of them as 100% true, you know, that it's going to happen. First of all, it's really hard to predict the future. You know, I, I don't think anybody can perfectly predict the future when it comes to players, right, or talent. But some people are better than others. And Duke, to me, when I ask about offensive linemen, I feel like over the years I've noticed he has the best track record of success. Now, we talked about a little bit there. I didn't know him that well when Flowers was coming out. I was just sort of getting to know him. And he warned me about it. You know, he the warning signs were all there. He, he's like, you know, I just don't see it. Too many technical flaws. And I was like, you know what? Those are things that can be fixed. That the Giants and the pro coaching, they'll be able to fix it and touch it up. And Duke, he said, you know, I don't know. I don't see these as being, you know, really fixable things. The, the, the groundwork is there for him to not be successful. And he was right. 
And I've realized over the years, when Duke tells me a guy's going to be good on the offensive line or a guy is, he didn't like him and he, you know, he wasn't going to be good. Now I come to trust him number one for me among offensive linemen because he notices things that most people don't notice. Aside from, it's not just basic stuff. He notices hand placement, footwork, the little things about offensive linemen, and some of the things he thinks can be fixed, and some of the things he knows can't be fixed. So that's why he's become my number one go-to offensive line guy, especially after the Eric Flowers experiment. So Duke is Duke is a good guy, and if he you should follow him on Twitter at Duke Manyweather, and you'll see. When he says stuff about offensive linemen, he's usually right. And that's going to be it with this episode of Breaking Big Blue. We're going to be back hopefully next week. Now, I'm, I'm, look, I know I, I, I missed a couple again. I, I'm going to stop over promising. I'm going to work under the premise of I'm going to under promise from now on. This way, if I do come through for you, it's a bonus, right? So you know what? Scrap that. I'm not going to have another podcast until the season starts. Wink, wink. And this way, this is my under, this is my under promise. I'm going to, I'm going to guarantee you less. This way, when I provide you more, it's a bonus. So maybe you'll have something in the next three or four weeks by the time the Giants really are in the middle of training camp. Maybe not. And with that, remember, Subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. we got a couple more for you coming up uh, before the summer's over. And always send suggestions. I'm, you, who do you want to hear from? Let me know. You know, which players do you want to hear from this summer? What do you want to know from them, about them? Players, coaches, uh, front office people with the Giants. Maybe we can we could try and squeeze some of that. Coaches, maybe maybe we could work something out. Maybe we we could try and get some of these guys on. I'll do my best behind the scenes to make to make those kind of things happen. Your job is to listen. Tell your friends, subscribe, give us a good rating. As always, Apple Podcasts, Podcatchers, ESPN app, Google Play. You can find us anywhere and send me emails. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere where there's social media. I pretty much have an account. I'm not sure if I can remember my password at this point with all these things going on, but I have an account somewhere. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.